This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, I'm Troy Dean from WP Elevation, and I'm in Amsterdam at the moment, and I'm very pleased to have with me from Austria, John O'Nolan. Good afternoon, John. Hello. Thank how you, you, yes. How are you, man? I'm good. In, technically not from Austria, but in Austria. Correct. Uh, people don't hear the accent and start getting very confused, but uh, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I like how you had to pause there when you were saying where you actually are at the moment. Well, you, you, know, don't, you don't really know where you are, do you? Mate, I've been on a plane for 30 hours uh, from Melbourne to Amsterdam for WordCamp Europe, and uh, I arrived, I don't know, a couple of hours ago, and I'm just drinking my way through it, man, you know? Nice. <laughs> the best way. It's the Love only it. way I can stay awake at the moment, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, now, we're going to talk about all things WordPress, all things web, all things ghost. Um, for those of you that have been living under a rock uh, for the last 12 months, John O'Nolan, of course, is uh, behind the Ghost Project, which we're going to talk a little bit about. However, I just want to announce a quick competition. I was just talking to John pre-interview, and he tells me that his favorite book at the moment is a book called A Year With No Pants, which is uh, written about an experience of working with Automatic uh, for a year. I'm not sure how that ties in with having no pants, but we'll find out, because I'm going to give away a copy of that book. Uh, so stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on in interview. So before we start uh, waxing lyrical about WordPress and Ghost, John, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I don't know. Um, there, there was definitely a phase when I wanted to be a fireman police scuba diver. I remember that. Hmm. There wasn't anything embarrassing like ballet dancer or anything like <laughs> most people have. And then there was a phase where I wanted to be like a radio DJ. Oh, yeah. But I think that the honest answer is I didn't know really for the majority of my young life. Um, I studied music. I thought I wanted to be a musician for a while, but I realized I wasn't, wasn't very good at that. Have you worked, and, uh, it, out? Have you worked it out yet, what, what you want to be when you grow up? Or? Not really, to be honest. I'm just playing it by ear. Yeah, yeah. You just don't want to grow up, do you? Pretty much. <laughs> um, okay, when did you discover the internet? Oh, I don't know. My dad was probably one of the uh, earliest adopters of the internet there was. So I had a, a computer in my room as a kid, and this was in 1996, 95, which was pretty unheard of at the time. So I used to get my dad's hand-me-downs. And I suppose at one point or another, uh, the internet became a household situation as opposed to the dial-up modem in my dad's office. Um, but I don't actually remember. I just remember, I think, like, the first thing I had was a Yahoo email account. Right. And that was cool. Cool. GeoCities? Were you, were you a GeoCities kid? I think I was at one point, but I don't remember it vividly. Yeah. Awesome. I definitely had some sort of thing like that. Um, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? I do, indeed, yes. I was running a, uh, a website for a band called Fightstar years ago. Um, and one of the things we set up was a blog. And this was 2005, 2004, 5. Wow. So that would have been, like, I think it was probably WordPress 2.1 or 2.2. Somewhere around there. And then a couple of years later, I started using it, um, I think, around the 2.3, 2.4 phase, uh, quite a lot at an agency where I was working then. But it was, yeah, it was not so pretty back in those days. <laughs> um, and so you were part of the... Uh, actually, before I ask this question, what a, why did you keep working with WordPress? What, what appealed to you about it? Um... I could understand it, which is more than I can say for Drupal or Joomla <laughs> at the time and to a great extent even now, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, it was something that was getting used a lot for the client sites I was working on, and I could sort of figure out. I managed to get like, one of my first HTML templates into a functioning WordPress team without any help, um, which was a, a significant point for me to go, oh, this is cool, because I can, I can actually figure it out and use it myself. Mm. Um, and it's just one of the things, when you, when you like something, you use it more and more. So mm. I guess that's, that's pretty much it. And you became part of the WordPress UI team at one point, yeah? I did indeed. Uh, I think it was 2009, 10, 11. Um, that sort of time period. I was doing a lot of work with WordPress, and uh, one day I discovered a bug, something to do with a uh, pretty family. It's not working right. And uh, I wanted to report that, so I was asking one of the, <laughs> at the time, newbie developers uh, called Andrew Nason <laughs> how, how, I could, uh, how I could go about reporting this bug, and he gave me tons of help uh, and sort of guided me through the process of reporting my first bug to WordPress and helping get it fixed and uh, introduced me to that whole 
world of people contributing to, to building WordPress. And he was, he was new. I mean, he'd been contributing to WordPress for about a month at that point himself, I think. Um, he's now, for context, for anyone who doesn't know, one of the few lead developers of WordPress. Um, he had a pretty much skyrocket path to success um, by working very, very hard. And uh, I, liked, I liked what was happening. I liked the idea that I could influence WordPress and make it better. Um, so I decided to help out in the area that I knew best, which was design. Um, so I did that with the user interface group for a couple of years, which was great fun. Right. And you were, uh, am I right in saying that you were volunteering? That was just off your own bat, just wanting to contribute to the, to the growth of, of WordPress? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone uh, who contributes to WordPress is a volunteer, except for people who are employed by Automatic, pretty much, with right. a couple of exceptions. Um, how, was the, how was the experience of working with such a large team on something like the, the UI of WordPress? Well, that's the funny thing, really. Um, the core team has never been large. Like, there's around, uh, at the time at least, I don't know now, there was around 120 developers per release. Um, but the funny thing was there was about three, four designers contributing per release, so it, it definitely wasn't a large team. Right. And at the time, there was a huge amount of room for someone like myself to come in and actually do a bit of work to help out because there was a lot of things that needed doing and um, open source contribution on the design side really hadn't, kicked off in any way. Um, the user interface group itself, um, I think it was only a couple of months old at that point. They hadn't even had a, an open source design group before that point. Um, but the in most interesting thing wasn't necessarily working in a large team or working on one product, project. It was working on a product that would ship to such a large audience. Um, I'd never built something that would be seen by more than 60, 70 million people. Um, so that had a lot of impact on me, the fact that something I would be designing would be seen by 60, 70 million sites, and those sites could have more than one user, so hundreds of millions of users would be looking at and using something I designed. That was, that was a pretty cool feeling and very compelling motivator for me to want to do that type of work. Mm. Cool. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things that you started that uh, were kind of... Um Braxton Hicks, for want of a better term. I don't know if you know what that term means, but uh, it's when uh, a pregnant woman goes into labour and it's a false start. doesn't actually come to fruition. That's called a Braxton Hicks. I only learned yes, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, le I learned that a few years ago. A, a mate of mine who's a songwriter was, was trying to make a record and he had that many false starts and his wife at the time was pregnant and she had all these false starts uh, with, the, with the going into labour and he learned this term Braxton Hicks. So then when he finally released his album, he called it Braxton Hicks. Because yeah. it had that many false starts. So I want to talk about uh, Radiate. For those of you that don't know, ADPNR from WooThemes had a, a creative a web agency at one point called Radiate. And then he kind of got really busy with WooThemes and, and brought you on into Radiate to kind of to reinvigorate that. Yeah, Talk us through how that eventuated and, how, and, and what happened with Radiate. Yeah, so that was uh, around a similar time from when I was contributing to core WordPress team, actually. It was um, AD wants to do reasonably high-level and interesting agency-style work um, with his company, Radiate. And he brought me on um, pretty much to as a right-hand man to him to help him oversee it, run it, do some design, do some code, do some project management, real mix of stuff. Um, and did that for, I can't remember how long, I think six months or so before uh, Radiate sort of was... Well, getting smaller, there wasn't doing that much client work, and AD was very busy with other projects, most notably WooThemes, of course. Um, and it was a fun interim, but it uh, it didn't go anywhere big, as it were. It was, as you say, uh, what was it, Braxton Hicks? Braxton Hicks. <laughs> Braxton Hicks. <laughs> so there's another, and the reason the reason I think this is interesting because we're going to talk about Ghost in a minute, which is uh, which is the the big thing that you're working on at the moment. Um, which feels feels like you've actually given birth now, but I want to talk <laughs> about I want to talk about um, another Braxton Hicks. Is when I first met you actually was at Gold Coast uh, WordCamp Gold Coast, I think, and mm -hmm. um, uh, you know I heard I heard that there's this guy from the UK who was a freelance designer named John O'Nolan was coming out. He was like 23 years old. He was coming out to do a, a speech, you know, a, a keynote presentation. And, and I must admit, I was, it was part of me was kind of sitting in the audience going, oh, yeah, a 23-year-old, what's this bloody kid? <laughs> and, um, 
And then you got up there and you gave this absolute rock star presentation called Designing Emotions, which blew me away. And I, it was the last speech on the Saturday, and I was speaking first on the Sunday. And I think I went back and redid my whole presentation on Saturday <laughs> night because you just raised the bar so much. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and, so, and so that was based around this book that you were writing at the time called Designing Emotions. Yeah. And so, so, so tell me what happened with... Because at the moment, so now you're self-publishing this book and releasing it one chapter at a time online. So tell me what happened with Designing Emotions. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. So Designing Emotion, for the majority of people, never will have heard of it. Um, it was, it's basically a concept that I became very interested in um, a couple of years ago, which surrounds itself around why we perceive certain things to be good, bad, why some things make us happy or sad, and how that translates to customer service, marketing, user experience, design, uh, pretty much every single thing in our day-to-day lives. And uh, it was actually with AD, again, um, that we started initially writing this book together because it was uh, a concept that he had originally talked about and I sort of caught on to, and then we discussed it a lot more. And it was such a bumpy road. We first started writing about the concepts a little bit and sort of thought we'll put this into like a 5,000 page, uh, sorry, 5,000 word small ebook and just release it and see what people think. And then it got picked up by a publishing company who really liked the idea and wanted to turn it into a real book. We said, okay, that's great. And publishing companies are a complete fucking mess who have no idea what they're doing. Um, and they gave us editors who barely knew what the internet was. I mean, it was ridiculous. They were like correcting stuff like YouTube is the second most popular site in the world to YouTube is the second most popular digital site in the virtual world because the editor was concerned that people would be confused by the ambiguity as to whether or not YouTube was in fact a physical location that someone could visit on earth. So, I mean, we had that level of editing going on on what was trying to be like a high concept, a high level uh, concept book. Um, and it just was stop and start and pushing back to and fro with these editors that were just ridiculous. So in the end, we uh, we said thanks, but no thanks to the publishing company. Um, we tried to self-write it. Um, and then the whole Braxton Hicks <laughs> phenomenon sort of happened again. Um, because as things go, you work on them as much as you can. And unless you actually get the first version out the door or you come to some point where you say, okay, it's at least slightly finished now and I'm shipping it. Um, you work on it endlessly and sooner or later you get distracted by something new and you forget about that old thing. And sadly, that was what happened to that, which I'm actually really upset about because it was, it was actually something really interesting that I'm still uh, passionate about to this day. So I hope someday maybe can revisit that. Mm. You'll come back to it, I'm sure. I, I, you, you, you'll find time to come back to it. I imagine with everything that's happening with Ghost right now, you're probably not that upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some other things on my mind at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just want to flag that I think it was the 15-minute mark of the interview that you dropped the first F-bomb. So, uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I held up that long. <laughs> I know, I'm surprised. Um, <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you describe... Uh, so let's move forward to today. Um, we're going to talk about ghosts in a minute, but how do you describe when you meet someone, when you meet people for the first time, how do you describe what you do in one sentence? An open source, not-for-profit publishing platform. Um, it's the most simple explanation to anyone who doesn't have any context whatsoever. Um, to put it in context of people who are familiar with WordPress or familiar with a little bit of web design, it's just a blogging platform, which is to say it doesn't do any fancy other stuff. It's not focused on content management, building websites, um, creating things for businesses. It's just for blogging. It's just for publishing. And that is it. Got it. Um, and, and we're going to talk about Ghost in, a, in more detail in a moment. I know I've been saying that a lot, but I promise you we are. Um, <laughs> but I want to just, just get to know John O'Nolan a little bit. I want our, our viewers to get to know John O'Nolan a little bit. What do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Do you know, it's a really good question because when you when you start an open source project, you sort of have this vision of that you're going to be designing all day and then writing code all day and 
doing things that open source people do, and that's going to be really fun. And what you actually end up doing all day, if the project is successful, is writing emails, creating spreadsheets, and doing accounting. Uh, so at the moment, I'm in my inbox probably 18 hours after the 20 hours a day I work. Uh, and the other two hours, I'm in IRC talking to other people who are actually writing code and uh, doing stuff. So at the moment, my role is, is very much one of project management, and uh, I think that's probably going to grow over time uh, to be more of the same, I think. Mm. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? At the moment, our public release, which is on October 14th, is, uh, is what we're aiming for. And we've got a bunch to do before that. Not, not as much as we had to do before the first Kickstarter release, which was on September 20th. That was the, the really scary one. But at the moment, that's the thing that's on my mind a lot. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on the podcast, man, because I know that you're up, you, I know you're backs against the wall right now. Um, <laughs> what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's really like not much time for fun at the moment. But when I'm not... Up, quite up against so many uh, so many deadlines. I'm an avid kiteboarder. Um, that's my, my pastime, my passion. I love love getting a kite in my hands and a board under my feet and uh, hitting the ocean. Awesome. Uh, I think it was one of your photos actually from uh, Barakai Island in the Philippines that that's you tweeted something about, oh, I'm spending New Year's Eve here again. And I tweeted you back and said, where is that? And you pointed exactly. me to Barakai and I like, that's <laughs> it. I booked the trip. I went there, man. And it's unbelievable, that place. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it when you sent me that tweet with the photo saying, I'm here. I was like, oh my God, he actually went. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It. It's, a, it's a schlep to get there too, isn't it? Like it's, you know, oh. it's a long mission to get there, but Ridiculous. it's well worth it. It's well worth yeah. it. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes because it's it, if you're ever anyone's thinking about going to the Philippines, Barocco Island is just amazing. You caught it. Speaking of which locations, you call yourself professionally homeless. What's yeah. the deal? I know you've kind of settled in in Austria at the moment, but what what's the deal with the professionally homeless thing? Ish, um, yeah, ish settled ish in Austria. It's no. so. I mean, a couple of years ago, I decided to, for want of a better description, out of boredom, decided to sell everything I owned, move out of my house and hit the road with a backpack with a laptop and like six t-shirts in it and i was still continuing working um so that's the professional part i was working day to day doing my freelance website contracts um, working on wordpress uh, related stuff all the same stuff i was doing in england the only difference was um with no official home and technically i'm still doing that although these days i spend a little bit more time in austria um happened to meet a very nice girl from austria in egypt last year as you do and uh, ended up following her back here, and uh, sort of got stuck here ever since. But you know, that's, that's how these things go. It's funny. I was talking to some friends when I, after I first met you. I was talking to some friends back in Australia, and I was kind of explaining this, you know, glamorous kind of lifestyle that you have, professionally homeless, <laughs> traveling the world, working from a laptop, and they're all they're all a little bit older than me, even. And they all said, "Yeah, that'll be fine until he meets a girl." <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you swear a lot. No question. I just wanted to uh, announce that. Um, <laughs> in fact, you and Mike Montero, I think, are uh, the two guys that I know that can actually get away with cursing quite a bit during a presentation. And no one, ma- no one even like questions it. I don't even know how you do it. Every time I do it, there's people like, oh, you shouldn't swear so much. I'm like, why not? Mike Montero and John O'Nolan do it all the friggin' time. I think it's I think it's a quantity thing. Like if you only say fuck once in a presentation, people are like ooh. Yeah, yeah. But after you've gone past like the twenty <laughs> twenty five count, they just accept it as yeah. life. But yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk's the other one who, uh, who does a fantastic job. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. So like, drop it in the first sentence and then just roll with it. I think um, so. I'm not sure I should really be giving you advice on how to do this though. You're probably <laughs> complaints now. Uh, oh, you know, I was going to talk about notoriety, what's the best and worst thing about having a public profile on the internet? But I think really what, the question what I wanted to ask there is um, how do you deal with haters? <laughs> it's tough. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different kinds of haters you can get. There's the ones that are reasonably easy to deal with, who are rational and who simply disagree with you and who are interested in having a conversation about it. And those are quite common, and you just talk to them like a human being, and usually they end up being on your side at the end of it, or at least mm, being less hazy, should yeah. we say. Um, occasionally you get the troll variety, which are just people who, for one reason or another, saw something you did that happened to 
uh, get a lot of attention, decide that it's shit, and want to tell you exactly how shit it is and all the things that are wrong with it. They're not interested in why or um, having any kind of debate about it. They're just sort of are keyboard warriors who take to Twitter and in rage. And I don't know. I've tried. I've tried a couple of methods over the years for dealing with those. I mean, there's the Greek fire with fire approach and uh, sort of going all hell blazing and <laughs> take them on at their own game, which doesn't really work. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. Nothing productive comes out of it. Um, but I think these days it's sad but true, the thing they always say, which is to just try and ignore as much of it as you can and use your time and energy on uh, on the people who are actually willing to have a conversation or are interested in having a conversation. Um, but I think, it's to be honest, it's not as bad as, uh, as it has been in past years. I think we've actually gone down somewhat in the level of idiocy that's, uh, that sometimes... Sort of banded about online, so that's that's good. Yeah, great advice to ignore it. Uh, if if you know, because you're right, nothing productive comes out of engaging in those conversations. Um, true. Let's talk about Ghost. You recently launched Ghost. For those that don't know, Ghost.org. That's I'll put a sh- I'll put a link under the in, in the show notes. Visit Ghost.org. It'll all make sense. Just a blogging platform. Why did you release Ghost? Was it to scratch your own itch? What What was the gap that you felt you could fill? What Why did you do this? Uh, it was definitely scratching my own itch. Um, so I was trying to use WordPress, or I was using WordPress, um, to run my own magazine, travel magazine news uh, site. And at the same time, I was also building a lot of client sites for uh, Virgin Atlantic, Nokia, Microsoft, a bunch of people, a bunch of big clients who all wanted to use WordPress, but all of them wanted to use WordPress for a blog, uh, to set up a blog for their company. And while WordPress is really good for a lot of different uses, um, I was finding it more and more and more frustrating to actually just run a blog through it. It had tons of tools for doing very nice custom stuff, you know, custom post types, custom taxonomies, multiple multiple installs, all this kind of stuff was getting added over the years. But managing multiple authors and editors and commissioning them and uh, going through the whole editorial workflow process of a normal magazine news site, site with multiple people writing on a publication was just painful. Uh, it was painful for my own site and it was painful for the client sites I was setting up. Um, and I'd had this sort of idea that it could be better or it could be WordPress could be something more focused on publishing for, to be honest, for years, but only as ever kind of a small niggle. And I'd never scratch that itch because, you know, who builds another blogging platform? There's already so many and how could it possibly succeed when something as big as WordPress with hundreds of millions of users already exists? Um, and one day last year, uh, around November, I was... Uh, working on a client site, I hit some problems and I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to put some stuff down in Photoshop and see what my ideas would actually look like if I got them onto a canvas, as it were. And I put that up in a blog post saying, look, here's my idea, this would be cool. If I had to reinvent WordPress right now, here's how I'd do it. And I was thinking that would be cool if like a couple of thousand people said or had a look at it and thought it was alright. Um, it got about a quarter of a million page views in the following week, um, which was a response slightly larger than I was expecting. Um, and from that point on, it was it became pretty clear that if I built it, people would be interested in using it. Mm. So that sort of set the wheels in motion for actually making it happen. I was at, I remember I was at Pressnomics. I remember this as clear as day. I was at Pressnomics when that happened last year in <laughs> Arizona. And there was you know, everyone was in this conference all day talking about the commercial aspect of WordPress and premium plugins and premium themes. And, we, you know, we were there with people that were making a lot of money out of WordPress, all, you know, speaking and talking and learning. And then after the conference, there was all this chatter about Ghost in the pub at night. Everyone <laughs> talking about, have you seen what John O'Neill's done? Have you seen the blog post? Blah, blah, blah. You know, people were showing it on iPads. And, and I just remember thinking, like, what... What, I've been wanting to ask you this since then. What do you think it was that resonated with so many people? I don't think it was necessarily any one thing. I don't think there was like a magic bullet in there that was the, the one thing people had been waiting for. I think 
the reason that post got put together by me in the first place was that it was the culmination of years of really small frustrations mm. um, in a lot of different areas. And some of that was in the politics of the organizational structure of how WordPress is run and automatic and foundation or not foundation and all that sort of stuff, which is a huge you know, tarball of an issue in the WordPress community, along with the licensing stuff. The other side of it was the design and uh, usability of the platform. And probably the third thing was the actual functionality and the debate around whether or not WordPress is stuck in old technology with PHP and Apache and MySQL and all uh, these sorts of lovely things. And I think the blog post just pulled together a ton of my frustrations and experiences and tried to solve sort of 20 problems and present what they would look like if they were solved together. And the old saying of the, the sum of all their parts was greater than each individually is probably mm. rings true here. Mm. Um, but I was pleased and surprised that so many people had, uh, well, could relate to it and they had so many similar feelings that mm. uh, they took such interest straight away. So, you know, the... the I'm just going to. There's a couple of questions here, but I'm just going to f- switch the order around because, um, because frankly, I was half asleep and really jet lagged when I wrote these questions a couple of hours ago. And there's more. In, there's more interesting questions that are appealing to me now. But here's the thing, right? Because we all have ideas mm-hmm. about a product or a legacy or a way of changing the world, and 99.9% of us don't do anything about it, right? So yeah. the question I've got here is, how did you know? when Ghost was an idea worth pursuing. but I th- So that's one question. But I think the more interesting question is, how did, you get, how did you get all that shit out of your own head for long enough, all that self-doubt, all that no one's going to buy it, you know, who, who are you to do this, all that kind of crap that goes on, that self-talk that we all know happens, and unless you're, you know, unless you're an enlightened monk, don't tell me that that didn't happen for you, because I know it did. How did you get all that shit out of your head and actually do it anyway? How did you find the, what, how did you find the inner gumption or courage to just go for it and do it? You know, it's funny, because I've asked that question to a lot of other people pre-ghost, when I was sort of trying to figure out what my thing is and what I wanted to do. Um, and at the time, I didn't know the answer, but in hindsight, being 2020 and all that, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very clear to me. Um, there's a, a wonderful blog post, which uh, everyone should check out if they have five minutes, even less than five minutes. It's not very long. Um, by Derek Sivers, um, who's the founder of CD Baby. Yep. And it's called Amazing to You, uh, Obvious to Me, or Obvious to You, Amazing to Someone Else, I believe is the exact title. Yep. And the premise of this post is to explain that a lot of people uh, come up to him and say, you know, CD Baby is so amazing. You must, uh, how did you come up with such an amazing idea? What, what did you do to uh, make this happen, something. And his answer is always, well, it was obvious to me. Right. But he will look at things other people have done and go, oh, my God, that's amazing. How I could never possibly think of such an incredible idea. Mm-hmm. And I spent the majority of the last couple of years, I mean, while I was traveling, I was simultaneously trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I was quite bored of my web design freelancing and I wanted to do something a bit bigger. And I was trying to find my amazing idea mm-hmm. whilst ignoring all the things that were obvious to me, because if they were obvious to me, they must be obvious to everyone. And in hindsight, I think the probably the biggest piece of advice I'd give to anyone is to go after the idea that seems so obvious to you that it's stupid and someone else must have already done it or will already be working on it or it will be too small to ever work because it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. Because the idea to make a ghost or to make a simple blogging platform to me has been the most obvious idea that I've had for years but I've never pursued it because it just seemed so uh, uninteresting I guess it seemed like such a small idea and the reasons for it not to work were so large Um, so the only thing I really did to make it happen was to actually just write about my obvious idea and that was the spark that started it all so I would I would say to everyone else think about the thing that has just been obvious to you for years and uh, maybe see how many other people agree with you Mm. because it might be more than you think. Uh, I've got an interview with Derek Sivers in the can actually from a while ago which uh, hasn't got around to being published yet but it's on the cards to be published in the next couple of weeks on a previous podcast we did so I'll send you a link to that because he's a fascinating dude. I've got a lot of time for Derek Sivers. Yes, very Um, cool. How many times have you, like, in the, you know, since since writing that blog post and now since actually launching a piece of software that other people are using, how many times have you kind of hit that wall and gone, 
you know, oh, it's just all too hard. And, you know, like how many times have you had to, how, how have you kept going in the face of adversity? <laughs> um, <laughs> Red Bull? <laughs> like how many times is, is a question of like how many times per day rather than how many times since, right. since the idea. It's uh, anyone who has any hint that sort of building something might be easy or looks easy or seems easy is living a dream. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable hard work. And that's the, I think that's the one, one of the biggest delusions about Kickstarter. Um, so obviously Ghost went on Kickstarter and, and did quite well there. Um, and a lot of people look at Kickstarter, myself included, before I, I did a Kickstarter campaign, look at Kickstarter and think, oh, that must be cool. You just put up like one page with like some writing, a video, which is max two minutes. Mm. And then you just get money, like just all the money in the world just happens and that you did nothing. You just sort of wrote that page and then people give you money. And it seems like a dream come true, like a sort of get rich quick mm. answer to life. Mm. It's not quite like that. Um, that. Just creating the page, I mean, this is irrelevant, but it, that just creating the page to a level of quality that can entice that sort of response took probably three solid months of work wow. uh, and afterwards it was four hours a day sleeping just to keep up with the demand of people who wanted questions who uh, sorry who wants to answer their questions who wanted to know when it would be available who uh, had ideas who needed support um, everything it's by day four of the Kickstarter campaign my uh, skin was falling off my face my hands um, I had splitting headaches um, I couldn't sleep, but I also wasn't hungry. Um, I wasn't tired, but at the same time, I couldn't really think straight because I was running on sort of three, four hours sleep a night just to keep up, not to do any marketing, not to send any press releases, just to keep up with the demand of people asking questions. And that pretty much hasn't stopped since the Kickstarter campaign. Like, it's, Holy crap. it's ongoing. <laughs> well, it's good to see your faces back on and... <laughs> Pretty much, uh, just about. Wow. Um, so you know, I, I guess the question I'm really trying to get the, the the question I'm really trying to ask here is, how did you not at, at all those at all those junctions along the way, even before the Kickstarter campaign, why did you keep going? Why didn't you just do what most people do, which is say, "Oh, fuck it, it's too hard." <laughs> uh, I think, I think I just really spotted the opportunity. Um, and that made it really worth it. I mean, I've tried, as we, we kind of covered a bit earlier, I've tried quite a few different projects or ventures mm. and been very passionate about them and put in a lot of work into them, only for them to eventually not come to fruition. Mm. Um, and with this, I could see how large that first response was, just mm. the sheer scale of it, which constantly in my ear screaming to me, if you fuck this up, you will have missed out on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really do something amazing. Mm. And it was not wanting to pass up on that that really has kept me going the whole time. It's funny, you know, I've been uh, reading and learning a lot about the whole lean startup movement, and inadvertently what you did with that one blog post is classic lean startup stuff. It's just put up a page, get enough response to it, you know, Sell the thing and then build it, basically, um, <laughs> rather than rather than spending months building something in stealth mode, hoping that people will want it. You kind yeah. of you kind of qualified the market before you before you even built anything. In fact, I remember you getting, I remember people giving you shit because that blog post was actually a series of images. It wasn't <laughs> even like live HTML text. That was that was so funny. It was like the one thing people went nuts about. So. The, for- context, what I did was, when I wanted to make these ideas, I just opened Photoshop, made a massive document, and started putting in mock-ups. And then when I was done, I was like, okay, that looks cool. I'll see what people think. I just, like, export, save. And that was the equivalent of me, like, sketching in a book, like a picture of a house, taking a picture of it and putting it on my website. And people going, why is that not a real house? Mm. That's just a piece of paper with a sketch on it. Um, But people couldn't believe a few, well, not that many, a few people couldn't believe uh, that it was... Like, an, oh, you can't even design a website. You just put up three images. Why should you be able to build this thing? But it's it's all, if you go to it now, which is john.ronoland.org slash ghost, it's all HTML and yeah. text and images as it should be. But yeah. at the time, it was just getting the idea out. Like, That's I could, right. of course, it, I mean, when I developed it, finally, about three weeks ago, actually, um, it took me 
eight, nine hours yeah. to do the whole thing properly, yeah. um, nicely, make it look good, all the rest of it. And I'm a reasonably experienced front-end developer. Like, mm. I probably could have spent those eight or nine hours on it a year ago, Yeah. but I had no idea what the response was going to be. Exactly. I could have just wasted eight or nine hours of my life That's making right. something in HTML and CSS that no one would ever see. Minimum so, viable uh, product, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Um, let's talk about the Kickstarter campaign for a, for a second. So... You know, you put the Kickstarter campaign up with the goal of raising £25,000. Uh, the last time I checked, which was, you know, about an hour and a half ago, you raised <laughs> £196,000. I was at a startup conference in Melbourne a few weeks ago with Noah Kagan, and there were guys there who were starting businesses teaching startups how to run a successful Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. There's a whole industry growing out of this. How did you nail... I mean... I, 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 I'm, I, it astounds me how you nailed that Kickstarter campaign. What, what do you reckon the secret sauce was? Um, again, putting together a lot of small things into one final package, I think is probably the best way to describe it. I mean, I spent months researching, reading case studies of other Kickstarter uh, projects, uh, pretty much all of them, I think, that existed at the time. Wow. Um, going through the stats, trying to figure out uh, <laughs> the difference between a, a successful Kickstarter campaign and a non-successful one and what attributes uh, led to one or the other. Uh, and, of course, looking at the biggest projects that have ever been on Kickstarter, so like your Pebble, your Ouya, um, especially the tech side uh, projects and what things did they all have in common and trying to pull all of those things together into something uh, that had a little bit of all of them. And there were a few, like, uh, really consistent, obvious things that came up over and over again. For example, uh, any video, any Kickstarter project with a video longer than three minutes, on average, uh, people got bored and didn't get funded or didn't get funded in a huge amount. Um, there's a very consistent trend of successful projects introducing the product and exactly what it did in under 20 seconds of video. Um, whereas a lot of people, the temptation, even myself, the temptation was to make a very nice introduction for about 30 seconds, then introduce yourself as the founder, which no one gives a fuck about, by the way, for another minute. And then sort of halfway through the video, they get to the actual meat of, and here's the thing that actually does something, by which point everyone's already clicked off and gone to Mars. And same with the rewards. Like a lot of people were had rewards of, uh, you know, back this for a dollar and we'll send you a signed postcard, which is fine when you have 10 backers. When you have 6,000, that becomes a real problem. Mm. Um, so I had no no physical rewards whatsoever. Like there was, I was adamant there would be no postage, there would be no fulfillment, there would be no trying to figure out shipping costs for everyone, trying to uh, resend orders that would inevitably get lost in international postage. And I made all of those, all of the actual rewards digital so that they would cost nothing to send. They would scale very easily in terms of how many backers there would be. And just looking basically at all these all different factors and trying to pull them together into one project um, was my strategy. And it seemed to, it seemed to work out. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Um, you've said that Ghost will operate, and this was part of the Kickstarter campaign as well. You're really open about the fact that Ghost will operate as 100% not-for-profit organizations so that decisions, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, so that decisions can be made about the software and not the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't help but think that some of this comes from your experience working on the UI team with WordPress and having such a close relationship with WordPress. Why is this important to you, and why should anyone else give a shit about it? It's definitely influenced by WordPress. I mean, it's not only WordPress. There's a lot of... Uh, open source projects and companies who have influenced this kind of outlook and the perspective on it. Um, it's really important to me because, well, two reasons, two reasons really. The first is um, I figured out uh, quite a while ago, actually, that I don't have any interest in being extremely wealthy. Um, you know, when you're, you're a kid, you sort of, you want to be a millionaire and have a Ferrari and all the rest of it. Um, but I've discovered that I'm quite happy with my life when I have an average salary and I can travel and talk to really cool people and work on stuff that interests me. And I, I really don't need a huge amount of money. So that's the first thing. It takes it takes the takes all the complicatedness mm. out of that side of things because yeah. I only want a salary. I don't need I don't have any interest or desire or motivation to flip something to Google for a lot of money. Yep. Um, the second thing is that you can look at a lot of projects, um, particularly open source ones, and 
try and trace back their decision making um, and why certain features get added, why certain bugs get fixed, um, who the stakeholders are and where, what are the reasons for the directions they go in. Um, and it has done and always will do, I think, bother me a great deal when it's quite clear that the shareholders, as in the financial shareholders of company, influence the direction of a software project, project more than its users. Um, I don't like the idea that some venture capitalist sitting in San Francisco can go to an open source project that I like and say, I want to have a 300% return on my investment in the next two years, so you better add this feature to compete with Tumblr, otherwise you're in shit. And that happens, as opposed to what should happen, which is the users all saying, we want this, we want that, this should be fixed, and those things all going ignored. Um, and I think for an open source project which sort of dictates transparency, um, which puts out this mantra of uh, freedom of speech, freedom of development, open source development, it's important to have that same transparency in the business model. Um, I don't think those two things actually mix very well. If you're saying on the one hand everyone should volunteer and create this thing for free for the world, and on the other hand but we're going to make loads of money off it <laughs> and you can't, uh, those things don't mix very well. Uh, and Mozilla was probably my biggest inspiration for the structure for Ghost. Um, so Mozilla is a not-for-profit organization in the U.S., and they make the Firefox browser. Uh, they do a bunch of incredible events, incredible outreach programs for developers, and their sole mission is to make the web a better place. Now, being non-profit doesn't mean no money. Mozilla make uh, hundreds of millions of dollars every single year, like a ginormous company by anyone's standards. The only difference is... They don't have any people at the top of the chain who are taking money off the top. They don't have any option to sell out to Facebook or Google or be acquired. And it just takes a lot of the ambiguity out of it. They say, this is why we exist. It's to make the web better. We're running a business. We have employees. We have staff. We're doing this because we love it. But there's no way any other factor is going to come into it. And I love that transparency. Um, it just makes sense to me. So... That's a very long answer to your question. That's oh, great. No, it's it's good because you know it's okay. good because I you know I I kind of figured that, but I wanted to hear it in that detail, and I think our our viewers will uh, appreciate that and get a lot from that. So one question is, how the hell are you going to make money out of Ghost? <laughs> uh, so we've got a, a couple because of I know, I, know, I know it's not about it's not about making money, but you you there's you and there's a team that are putting yeah. a lot of time and a lot of effort into actually developing the software and marketing it, and you've got to eat, you've got to leave, you've got to pay the rent, you've got to do all Absolutely. that stuff. You know, you've got a new girlfriend, you've got to take her out to the movies, and, you know, how are you going <laughs> to make money out of this thing? Well, first of all, there's BitTorrent, so that solves the, like, the movies problem. Right. But, uh, no, for the rest of it, it definitely is to a certain extent about money um, because there's, there's a big difference between not money and not profit. Yeah. Um, and the not profit side is I'm not taking... Uh, you know, huge dividends at the end of the year. We're not selling any shares to Facebook, Google, whatever. Yeah. Um, we're still making an income, turning and trading like a normal business, paying staff salaries, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and how we're going to do that is um, the primarily, uh, sorry, the primary uh, avenue through which we'll try and do that is with our hosted service. Um, so, as WordPress.com has like a one-click sort of set-up-and-go blog-type service, yeah. um, we will have a similar arrangement. The biggest difference of which will be um, it's not going to be like one big multi-site install where you're locked down, you can't use themes, you can't use plugins, you're tied into a weird dashboard that's not even actual WordPress, it's some other shit. Um, it will be actual ghosts, so you can have themes, you can have plugins, you can do whatever you want, you can manage it however you want. Um, and we're hoping... That will be not just how beginners use Ghost, so people who don't know how to sort of set up and configure a blog, but also the go-to option for advanced users or people who want to uh, set up a, a very big custom site with Ghost because we're just going to try and provide an incredible hosted service um, that should be, hopefully, the go-to option for the majority of people. And that will be our primary, primary uh, revenue stream. Uh, in the long term, what we hope to do as well is to have a an open marketplace. So something similar to your Apple App Store, your Google Play Store, um, where developers who want to sell premium themes or plugins can do so. And obviously we will have a take a commission for the um, setting up of that infrastructure facility and distributing that throughout Ghost. Um, but those are probably the main two. Um, we don't need to make huge amounts of money. Um, 
it's the benefit of the non-profit side, yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh, we just want to pay ourselves, pay our developers. Hopefully, it will be awesome if in a year or two we could have a full-time team of developers just working on Ghost uh, and getting paid by the people who are using Ghost effectively. Um, and this is what I'm sort of loosely at the moment calling sustainable open source, which is the people who are using the software and who are paying for the hosted service are inadvertently and directly uh, contributing to its funding for its continued growth and existence. Um, and that's something I'm really enthusiastic about. Wow. I think. It kind of reminds me of um, subscriber-funded community radio. <laughs> you know? yeah. I guess that's yeah. pretty accurate. Are you are you are you amazed that there's no official WordPress app store where you can buy themes and plugins and automatic or WordPress Foundation or whoever it is takes a slice of the pie? Um, I am and I'm not. I think the original reason for it not existing was very much down to Matt's philosophies of it should be a free and open ecosystem and uh, you shouldn't put a price on that and the premium market shouldn't cannibalize the free market. That was the original reason you didn't have anything like that. Um, we've since seen third-party sites like Invato, like I mean, you could argue WooThemes as a, as a marketplace these days. We've seen the huge, huge growth of the premium market. Um, and now I think WordPress is in a place where they can't move into that space because they said for so long that we won't go there on principle, um, even if they wanted to. <laughs> I mean, WordPress.com now has a theme marketplace. Um, it's, I don't know. I think I think it would be hugely, hugely beneficial if mm. the plugin and theme repository on WordPress.org actually turned into something more like an app store mm. and had actual tools for developers to market and promote products, both free and paid, mm. in a much more modern, up-to-date manner. I mean, it's it's a little bit dated now. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what route they're going to go down from mm. that respect. It'll be interesting to see. Interesting. Um, we're just going to talk a little bit more about Ghost before we get into our, our uh, elevation round. Um, you've had some sweet media coverage with Ghost, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, you know, I don't know what, I don't know who you're sleeping with, but you've had like TechCrunch, Forbes, Wired, Mashable. How? I mean, is this just all organic from from the viral spread of that original blog post? Uh, yes and no. Yeah, uh, a, a huge amount of it has been been very fortunate to have it come organically to us. Um, uh, also, a huge amount of it has been, uh, in all honesty, friends of friends. Um, and I think that's something everyone can... How can I explain this? Not learn from, but really try to appreciate the importance of that. No matter how unfair it is or how unequal it is, um, when it comes to things like press coverage in particular... Mm. It's always, always, always a case of who you know being so much more valuable than what you've done or yep. what you are doing right now. Yep. Um, and I'll be the first one to say uh, the Forbes piece was written by a friend of mine who used to be the business development director for Koala. Um, the Mashable piece is by the technical editor who I've been following. We've followed each other on Twitter for years. Wow. We weren't good friends friends up until uh, very recently, but we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of the others uh, were the same. Um, friends at startups who had just done an interview with a journalist at Wired um, connected us or introduced us, and yeah. that's how we got talking to. Um, and I think you'll find that almost all of the stories that get written for those publications uh, come about through a similar path. Yeah. Um, I think there's very few stories that actually get written on merit because something looks really good. When you see the latest piece on TechCrunch about some iPhone app that is a weather app but this time red, it's not because <laughs> they think that app is good. It's because it's a friend of the CTO's brother's sister's mother. So yeah. um, that's just a harsh fact of life. And I think one that doesn't really get talked about enough because it is everywhere. It's mm. absolutely everywhere. Um, that is why people get press and that is the reason we get press and all the rest of it. And the more you do, the more people you know, the more people you get talking to, the more that grows as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the answer is network. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to as many people as you can. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely just about meeting as many people as you can and getting to know as many people as you can and then trying to build something that's worth writing about, because that always helps as well. 
We're going to talk a little bit more about that during the elevation round in a moment and also talk about some of the brands that you've worked with. But just before we get there, Woo Themes are on board as a partner to make some of their themes ghost-friendly. That's right. They must really believe, and I'm reading this off the iPad because if I don't, I'll have no idea what I was supposed to ask you. Um, they must really believe in, that I mentioned I've been on a plane for 30 hours. They must really believe, <laughs> uh, they must really believe in the commercial future of this project. Does that add a little bit of pressure to you, Mr. O'Nolan? <laughs> How are you feeling about that one? Very good, actually. I mean, there's definitely added pressure, yeah. But when, when, so I think the best thing that can happen to any open source product or platform is that an ecosystem starts building around it. Mm. And for better or for worse, no, definitely for better, there's no worse, really. Uh, that's how WordPress has gotten massive. It, is, it has generated this incredible industry around it of companies who make millions, um, I mean, in the tens of millions, I think, these days, mm. of WordPress themes, plugins, hosting services. Mm. And that's where the whole Pressonomics conference comes from, which yep. we know about now, is people yep. who are making big Bitcoin from WordPress. Um, and the thing that happens is when there's an open source product that has an industry around it, that has hundreds, sometimes thousands of people making money off it, these people's careers, their livelihoods, and their families rely on this open source product existing. So in a way, yes, there's a little bit more pressure for, to deliver. But on another hand, it's kind of taking the pressure off because now I've got all of we things who've put an investment, this is just an example, who've put an investment of time and money into Ghost. And that time and investment, uh, sorry, that time and money investment is something they want to get a return out of. So I now know that they are going to want to try and make Ghost a success and effectively help me with that, and so all the other partners. Mm. So every time we see something uh, like another theme company or a plugin company or a hosting company pop up, um, it's very joyful for me, shall I say. Mm. It makes me very happy. Uh, there's a couple of guys, um, one of them is from New Zealand, I think the others are from the UK, uh, set up a thing called hostghost.io, which is like the first exclusive ghost hosting company. Wow. And uh, it popped up, and about ten people said to me the same day. They're like, "Oh no, you've got competition. Are you worried? Like they're gonna they're gonna start hosting ghost websites, and you want to do ghost hosting? Like, is that bad?" And I'm like, "No, it's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. if they're if they're hosting ghost websites, if they can create a viable website out of hosting ghost websites, mm. so can I. That's awesome. Mm. But they're gonna keep helping me and working even harder to make sure ghost sticks around because that's now their business and their livelihood. Mm. So yeah, the more people like WooThemes who come on board and who want to do stuff with ghost. Uh, in a way, the better, because it just creates this world around us that means it's going to keep growing and getting bigger, which mm. is awesome. So how, you know, given that, if there's plug-in companies and theme companies and host companies going to spring up around Ghost, how do you then, and it's open source, how do you then just keep it a blogging platform if people start writing plugins for it that turn it into a CMS? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the most common questions I've, I've been asked is how are you going to stop Ghost from turning into WordPress? How are you going to stop it from just going down the same path, getting more and more complicated? Um, because there will be people who write plugins to try and turn Ghost into an e-commerce platform or mm. to try and turn Ghost into like an event management system. That will happen. Mm. Um, that happens to WordPress, happens to every open source platform. Mm. Um, are we going to try to stop them? No, absolutely not. People should build whatever they want on top of, on top of Ghost, uh, and I'm sure they will. The biggest difference is when WordPress sort of got going, um, there were no real easy content management system options out there. So WordPress inadvertently got sort of retrofitted onto a whole bunch of stuff because people were using a really broken content management system to do a complicated site. And, oh, this is horrific. Oh, there's WordPress. It's supposed to be just a blogging platform, but we can probably make it do this other stuff as well. So WordPress got tons of demand to make more content management style features, um, and that's what their users wanted. So they responded to that, and you've got things like custom post types. We've been over this a little bit, custom post types, custom taxonomies, multi-site installs, um, all these different features that made it a very powerful content management system. And that's what the focus evolved into. It started out as a blogging platform, and then it sort of changed into, based on what users wanted, turning into more of a big content management system. Um, so we can't say we're going to stop people from building plugins and ones and content management features for Ghost. But what we can say is we're going to keep our focus uh, purely on the publishing and blogging side of things. So the type of functionality we introduce in core will mm -hmm. inadvertently dictate the type of functionality that people support in themes and people build into plugins. Gotcha. If you introduce core functionality with content management type options, people will build stuff around that. If you introduce features and you introduce stuff in core around publishing workflows, around editorial management, around 
blogging on a big scale, like a mashable scale, people will build themes and plugins around that instead. Mm. So that's what we're going to try and do is just focus the core on publishing and let everyone else decide what they would like to build around it. Beautiful. Great. Um, uh, thank you for clearing that up because it was something that was kind of uh, niggling in the back of my mind. Like, but, it, but it makes perfect sense. You're right, because WordPress did start including this CMS stuff into Core, which then um, generated and inspired themes and plug-in functionality to extend that, that, that Core. So that makes perfect sense, the way you've explained that. Let's just go back in time to when... And let's do the elevation round. When you're a freelancer, uh, you work with some big brands, Virgin Atlantic, Microsoft, Nokia... Uh, based on that, let's give some advice to other freelancers, whether they're using WordPress or, you know, Joomla, Drupal or whatever else, but most of our audience are, you know, using WordPress. For those of you that don't know, we have a business accelerator pro- a business accelerator program called uh, WP Elevation, and it's all about differentiating yourself and becoming the best freelancer and the best consultant you can be. So given thinking about your time as a freelancer, a um, series of quick questions. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? It's not about what you can do, it's about who you know. Same as the press question. Um, the biggest, probably the first couple of big breaks I got were working with Ubisoft and Virgin Atlantic as clients, and I didn't get them through being a particularly amazing designer or developer. I got them um, by writing a blog post for Smashing Magazine at the time, it happened to be discovered by someone due to good exposure, and then that got picked up and I got an email inquiry. It was completely through putting myself out there and... Um, just trying to get people to know my name as opposed to knowing what a great designer I was. Awesome. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? I think you just answered that question. <laughs> Pretty much blogging, getting my name out there. Um, how do you stop competing on price? Don't do it. <laughs> I think it's... I thought you were going to say don't start competing on price. <laughs> <laughs> don't compete on, no, competing on price is completely pointless. Um, the only time you compete on price, you end up with clients who are going to give you hell and fuck you off the entire time, and you, it never ends up well. Competing on price is, is ridiculous. Um, the best thing you do is offer a service at a price that you think is reasonable, at which point you should double your price because what you think is reasonable is ridiculous, at which point you should probably triple your price because you still don't have a good estimation of where you should be. Um, the rule of thumb I usually use is unless you feel woefully guilty about ripping off your clients, like you genuinely feel like you are overcharging by such a huge amount, it's ridiculous, you are charging too little because you never account for, we all have this kind of built-in filter where we try and be fair to our clients, but you never account for the amount of time you spend on bugs. You never account for the amount of time you spend on admin, on emails, on accounting, on bookkeeping. And the only time I've ever reached a point where I've been happy with a project at the end when the client is out the door is when I've been I've overcharged from the beginning because all those little things that come at the end of the project have then evened out and it has ended up in a reasonably fair rate that I'm yep. happy with. Yep, awesome. Um, any tips on writing better proposals? Um, no. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the best way to write a proposal is to have people come to you. Yeah, so yeah. my uh, marketing strategy is never to go out and find business. It's to go out and put myself in a position where business can come to me. And that's either through blogging, like on Smashing Magazine, on other sites where I know clients will see me, yep. um, or just making people write proposals to have me work with them. Yep. Um, it, pretty much just turning it on its head. And that works. You can definitely do that. Yep, great. Uh, favorite tool or system for CRM? I don't imagine you have one. No. No, don't do that. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, uh, what's, the, what's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Getting it done as fast as possible, I think. Like the classic trap everyone falls into is to sort of estimate three weeks when you know you can do it in less time than that and what actually ends up happening is you do it in the last three days because the first three weeks you sort of sit around procrastinating put on Breaking Bad and sort of write like three lines of code and then the last three days you crack it all out Um, so I think the best way is just to do everything fast um, because it won't be any better or worse if you give yourself more time you'll just procrastinate more speed of implementation Um, any ideas for getting referrals um Talk, 
network. I mean, usually happy clients is the best way to get referrals. Like once I had a couple of big clients, the only reason I got more big clients was because they all have they all work in each other's marketing departments and move from big company to big company. You know, and then something like Microsoft buys Nokia, and then suddenly you have the whole Nokia contract as well. Um, stuff like that happens all the time. Um, I think a really good rule of thumb is you will continue to get the type of clients you already have. Um, mm. So whatever client you have right now, if they're happy, you will get more clients of that scale. Mm. If you're not happy with that scale of client, well, how much they're paying, what type of project you're doing, uh, don't make them too happy or don't accept new projects because you clients don't lead to bigger clients. Clients lead to clients of the same size. Yeah. Um, if you want to try and jump, step, and get up to bigger clients, you have to do something different. Market yeah. yourself differently, get out, network, start speaking at conferences, get into a whole new ball game where you can pick up clients through a different way because word-of-mouth referrals will always get you the same scale of client that you have right now. That is gold, and it's particularly true when a client who's asking for a discount says, oh, this will lead to more work because I'll be able to refer you to my network. And my answer has always been, what, so a bunch of your mates can try and screw me over as well? Yeah, that sounds like fun. No thanks. <laughs> that's, that's really well put. The, the, yeah, right, your existing clients will give you more of that existing client. So if you want to break out of that mold, you have to do something different. That's awesome. So, okay, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Probably... Getting out of your little freelance bubble, uh, finding something else to do and write about and specialize in, be an expert in. Um, I had tremendous success from uh, blogging and then later speaking. Um, and I think those are two things that you can do really well with quite easily. If you have a little bit of confidence to write about some new technique or new strategy you're using, um, and then if you can get onto a speaking circuit and speak about that, uh, it can lead you up a path to... Uh, being perceived as much more successful than you probably are quite easily. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, is probably the biggest thing you can do quite easily to, to raise your profile um, is to start speaking like uh, if, you, <laughs> if you act like you are an industry professional yep. who is bigger than you are, yep. you become that person. Yep. Uh, if you act like the freelancer with three two-bit coffee shop clients, yep. you will continue to be that person. So it's to find the bigger shoes, step into them, and then learn how to fill them. Oh, that is find the bigger shoes, step into them, and then learn how to fill them. That is awesome. That is, <laughs> I'm gonna, that's that's going to be the title of this episode, the subtitle <laughs> of this episode. Uh, just before we wrap up, what's the future for Ghost, John O'Nolan? Well, I hope it's going to be massive. Um at the moment, we're seven days, no, 11 days away from launch. Uh, 11 days away from public launch when everyone can use it. Um, so you should go to ghost.org and put in your email address to find out when that happens. Um, I hope in the next couple of years it's going to grow, be used by a lot of uh, initially bloggers, individual bloggers, later teams, and later still uh, companies. And then uh, the ultimate end goal is when we see someone like CNN or Mashable or The Times or The Guardian running uh, entirely on Ghost, That's, that will be when it's really around. Wow. Great. What's the future of WordPress? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. Um, Matt Mullerwick says it's as in application platform. Um, and that could be true, or a web operating system, I think he said at one point. Mm. So it sort of turns into the basis for all sorts of apps to be built on top of. Uh, and it could do that. It, I think it has the potential to do that. Whether or not it's going in that direction right now is a very different question. Um, for It's something that Drupal has aspired to be for years, and Drupal hasn't necessarily um, succeeded in doing that to the scale that they might have imagined, or at least not with the ease of use that they might have imagined. Um, I think WordPress needs to find a focus and really go after it. Mm. Um, I hope they do. So the vertical market thing, like the Happy Tables restaurant and then the vertical for real estate, that kind of thing? That's what they want to go for, yeah. Mm. Um, but achieving that in a coherent way that isn't confusing to end users, I think is incredibly hard. And... Um, I'd be very interested to see which direction it goes in. Mm. And where will John O'Nolan be in three years' time? Uh, on a kiteboard with like a martini in hand, <laughs> just just letting other people code ghost whilst I chill. 
Will Probably there, not. Will there be will there will there be ghost camps? Uh, there there will be. We have planned already some ghost events. They will not be called ghost camps, right? Because um, first, that's just weird, and second, yeah, it's yeah. a bit cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we are we are looking at events already. Awesome. Um, all right. In conclusion, what is the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? Get out there um, outside of your freelancing niche. Put yourself out there in the form of writing, speaking, hosting a podcast like we're doing now and meet people. Connect with as many people as you can um, because, yeah, you might not like it, but it is true. The people you know are more important than what you do. Yeah, that's great. Where can people reach out to you to say thanks, John? Uh, on Twitter, at John Nolan, on my blog, john.onolan.org, or all things ghost on ghost.org. Awesome. And finally, who would you like me to interview for this podcast and why? Well, I would have said Derek Sivers, but you told me you've already done yeah, that. Yeah, I have. Can, oh, I, yeah, can yeah. I just say, like, publish that interview and stop being a dick? Yeah, okay, I will. Thanks. Okay, let's go for that. All right, good. Well, that's done. That's done and dusted. I'll send you a link. Hey, John, thank <laughs> you so much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I wish you all the best for the 14th of October. I will be uh, in San Francisco waiting for Pressnomics. Uh, so I'm sure there'll be lots of talk at Pressnomics about uh, the launch of Ghost. I wish you all the best with it and uh, look forward to seeing where it goes over the next couple of years. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, John. Cheers. Okay, so because I haven't had a lot of sleep in the last 30 hours because I've been travelling from Melbourne to Amsterdam for WordCamp Europe, you might have realised that I left out all the details on how to enter the competition during that awesome interview with John O'Nolan from Ghost. So here are the details on how to enter the competition. What we usually do is ask you to leave a comment under the video and tell us uh, a new feature that you want to see in the software or whatever it is of the, the person that we're interviewing. However, what we thought would be more interesting uh, in this case, because Ghost is just a blogging platform, we'd like you to tell us the feature that you don't want to see in a future version of Ghost. So, what will keep Ghost just a blogging platform and what is a feature that you don't want to see in a future version of Ghost that would make it just another CMS? So leave your comments under the video. I'll have John O'Nolan come back in a week's time and judge the winner and the winner will receive a copy of the book, uh, My Year Without Pants or A Year Without Pants, whatever it's called, uh, which is uh, about the experience of working for Automatic, uh, the company behind WordPress. So leave your comments underneath this video. What feature do you not want to see in a future edition of Ghost? Uh, thanks for participating. Until next time, we'll see you on the WP Elevation podcast. Until then, go elevate.